like the the greatest sadness I have about elephants in captivity in Thailand and elsewhere is that because they are chained up for most of the day and night, um, they're unable to perform their four natural behaviours, being roaming, foraging, wallowing and play. And socialisation is hugely important for them and they're denied um, many opportunities for socialisation. Some really are chained up almost permanently depending on the circumstances of their owner. So it is very much a tragedy. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Every week we introduce you to people who are working on real-world problems and providing actual solutions. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Every week, I try to introduce you to somebody who has identified a problem and is doing something to try to make it better. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that love animals. And one of the most, I don't know if you would say majestic, but awe-inspiring animals is the elephant. And there are parts of the world where they have it pretty bad. My guest today is Dr. Nikki Savitas, an Australian environmental ethnographer who studies the impact of tourism on animals. For the past decade, she's been researching the use of captive elephants in the Thai tourism industry and examining how more ethical tourism ventures might improve elephant welfare. Nikki, welcome. Thanks for having me, George. Great to be here. Do you like Dr. Nikki, Dr. Savitas? Nikki, what do you prefer? Uh, Just Nikki is fine. Okay, very good. I hate to undermine the the, the doctor (laughs) thing. So let me ask you this. For people who don't know you, tell me something about you that most people probably would not know. Um, well, I guess it actually comes to a surprise as a surprise to many people I know at home or I meet because I'm simultaneously a musician and an environmental ethnographer. So people often don't realize that I do both completely very different things. So my music people don't know so much about the elephant world and vice versa. So it's kind of interesting seeing people try and balance in their heads, like how are you simultaneously an electronic music producer and an environmental ethnographer who's super passionate about elephants. But they're my two main passions and I'm really lucky that I get to explore both in my everyday life. So what do you do in music? What instrument? Uh, So I do everything electronic. So I work with a program called Ableton Live and I create everything within that. So I played in bands for many, many years where I played bass, and now I get to be all the instruments using the computer. So that's pretty awesome. That's fantastic. Two of my kids played instruments, and it was, uh, it was something that was really good for them. And if you had to go out today to do something fun and it did not involve elephants, what would you go out and do? Um, well, right now I'm just trying to do more nature stuff. I've got a couple of horses, so I go and see them as much as possible. And that gives me a really good connection because I live in the city and my horses live out in beautiful, semi-rural outskirts of Sydney. So I get to kind of have the best of both both worlds. Living right near like really busy hubs in Sydney CBD and then also having nature that I can get to as often as I can. That is awesome. That is fantastic. Okay, so let's talk about what is the problem that you've identified and tell us what you're doing to make it better. Yeah, so um, I kind of fell into learning about the issues with captive elephants in Thailand more than 10 years ago now, actually in 2008, 
um, when I first visited Elephant Nature Park, which is a sanctuary in northern Thailand. And I soon learned that there are about three and a half to 4,000 elephants living in captivity in Thailand, and many of, well, most of them are suffering from serious welfare issues. So I started to become interested in finding ways to solve those issues or at least overcome them to some extent. And that led me down a very long, very complicated rabbit hole um, that ultimately led to me writing a book. But in the early stages, um, that I never thought I'd be writing a book. I just knew from the moment I met my first captive elephant that I was meant to help them. That's interesting. So what is it that got you into doing that? It doesn't seem like that's something that connects with music and especially being over in Sydney. So how did you, how did you get into that whole thing? Um, well, my background, my academic background is in animal studies and cultural studies. So at the University of Sydney, I did a master's in animal studies um, in the mid 2000s. And that was around horses and ethics, like the ethics of riding. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I mainly focused on dressage and natural horsemanship, which are two different disciplines that kind of have many interconnected principles. And after I finished doing that, um, I rewarded myself with a trip to Thailand and I wanted to volunteer with animals while I was there. So I'd already had great experiences volunteering with animals in Europe, but I'd never been to Asia. So I firstly volunteered at a dog rescue in Bangkok, which was an amazing experience. And then not long after that, um, I discovered Elephant Nature Park and Went for a week at first, ended up staying a month volunteering at Sanctuary, and that was a really pivotal moment that sort of has shaped the next more than decade of my life. Now, you hear about all, the, you, you were telling us about all these um, elephants in captivity there and how poorly they're treated. Are they indigenous to that area where they're, how are they ending up captive there? Yeah, so they are native to Thailand, they're native generally across South and Southeast Asia. Um, captivity for elephants has been, a thousand-year process around at least that long by Indigenous tribes. And the issue isn't so much how they're treated. I mean, it is, it is that as an issue, but it's the culmination of ongoing environmental, economic, um, social changes that have meant that once we're what were more kind of for Indigenous people anyway, um, spiritual connections with elephants and a way of life based around elephants has been corrupted by um, industries such as logging and tourism being two of the most profound. So people who may once have been able to care for their elephants in a more kind way have found that due to declining resources, which includes both natural resources for elephant food and their own income, um, are not necessarily able to provide the best life for elephants, even if there are um, some people who aim to do that and are unable to. There are some people who, you know, like everyone, many people in life don't care so much about animals and might be shackled to an elephant as a way of making an income. So there's sort of a broad range um, of treatment around elephants, all related to the different condi conditions of captivity. Well, we see that a lot here in the United States. I mean, maybe not, uh, I, I can't speak to how they're treated but I can sure speak to how they look when they're in a zoo. And mm. it looks like a pretty miserable existence in that small area that they're given. And I, I have context for that, as I was telling you before we started uh, recording, 
I went on a safari with my wife in uh, South Africa and we saw elephants in the wild. And they, the guide would talk about the amount of, of territory they would cover, how they would rub their uh, trunk on trees and how they would do all these different things out in the wild that we never think about because you certainly don't see that in a zoo. And so it seems like any animal in captivity is, is going to be hugely unfair for them. Yeah. And the main, like the, the greatest sadness I have about elephants in captivity in Thailand and elsewhere is that because they are chained up for most of the day and night, um, they're unable to perform their four natural behaviours, being roaming, foraging, wallowing and play. And socialisation is hugely important for them and they're denied um, many opportunities for socialisation. Some really are chained up almost permanently depending on the circumstances of their owner. So it is very much a tragedy um, when we look at the current conditions for captivity. And when they're chained up, is it, is it because how they're using them? I mean, are they using them for rides? I mean, what are they doing for the, to these poor elephants that they're so confined like that? Um, so some are used for rides. Um, most of the elephants that I worked with and the people I worked with were in traditional villages um, that have experienced over the past 40 or 50 years um, rampant deforestation. These were places that were once heavily forested and where people... Indigenous people kept their elephants as kind of spiritual kin and part of their family. There's still an element of that culture that still exists, but the forest had been completely destroyed. So as soon as that started to happen, um, the circumstances, you have several hundred elephants that once used to be tethered or monitored within a forest area, um, now suddenly being, you know, surrounded by roads and rice fields and farmers who, you know, don't appreciate elephants wandering onto their land and can shoot and kill elephants as a result of that. So one reason they're chained up is for safety. Another reason they're chained up is because they're used in tourist camps to give rides and perform in shows and um, to be kept on site to stop them roaming um, due to the conditions of deforestation, which means there's no natural food and no natural habitat. Sadly, this is, this is the lot of most elephants in Thailand. So how do you make this better? What do you have to do? So my focus has been on ethical tourism. So both elephants and their handlers, who are known as mahouts, rely on tourism to survive, and they have for some time. Um, long story that starts with uh, the logging industry and then the ban in logging, and both mahouts and elephants um, needing to find employment in tourism. Um, to make ends meet, to provide food for elephants and an income for mahouts so that they can provide for their families and their elephants. And traditional tourism camps are, you know, a lot leave, a lot to be desired in terms of their conditions. But over the past 20, 30 years, there's been a gradual shift to low-impact tourism, sanctuary tourism and volunteer tourism, which are allowing elephants to experience more freedom in the form of their behaviours, their ability to roam and forage and wallow in dams and rivers and socialise and play with one another. Um, so my real interest has been in primarily volunteering on and studying um, more ethical tourism ventures and exploring how those ventures are helping elephants to have more freedom. And a lot of that relates to 
removing elephants from their chains. A lot of it involves rescuing elephants um, from situations where their welfare is threatened and um, moving them to areas and working on reforestation and rehabilitation projects um, aimed at potentially, well, at this stage, small numbers, but potentially in the future, larger numbers of elephants being rewilded. So that's yeah, the that's, real focus. Uh, that's a huge task. I mean, you really have to approach this from so many different ways, it sounds like. Um, yeah. you know, not just finding that the elephants are treated better, but the whole thing about the forestation and, you know, what's happening to the forest around the world. I mean, that's, that's a tough one. Do a lot of these elephants end up getting shipped to places around the world and end up maybe worse off than they are where they are now? Um, yeah, there are some weird exchanges of elephants from certain places to other places. I know that here, um, in Sydney, Taronga Zoo, bought a bunch of elephants from Thailand probably about 10 years ago, apparently pay, paid three times as much as they were worth. Um, so it's arguable. I don't know. I find it tricky to draw a comparison that, that zoo life is better, kind of as you were suggesting earlier, because, you know, maybe there's a little bit more space to roam. You might not be on a chain, but you're still there as a, a spectacle for entertainment and your world is tiny like when you as you were saying like when you think about the range area for elephants being you know hundreds of kilometers squared and then you've got them in a tiny space in a zoo so something like that for me um, is potentially not as good for elephants as um, even places where at least they're allowed to you know they might be chained up for part of the day but at least they're you know they get a chance to go for walks and go to the river and swim in the river and swim in dams and, you know, forage in the forest, even if this only happens for a couple of hours a day, at least they're getting a change to their environment. So yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah. When you talk about bad deals for animals, okay. The circus, horrible place for any animal. That's just, that's mm. just awful. Um, and a, a zoo I mean, there's some zoos that that seem to get it right. There's some zoos that it's just horrible what they end up having to put these animals through. So as you're dealing with this, what are you seeing that actually gives you hope that you are making a difference? Because it seems like it's a total uphill climb for something that many people may not think about, but it's actually pretty important. Yeah, well, I think what's been amazing and what's given me hope is the proliferation of the ethical tourism ventures and to see how much how much of a difference they've made to elephants um, pre-COVID, and I'll get to COVID in a minute because that's made things a lot more complicated, but pre-COVID we're seeing a huge uptick in the number of ethical tourism ventures. So this includes sanctuaries. There's been a number of new sanctuaries, really, really great sanctuaries who um, really put effort into things like reforestation, which is a massive thing, and rehabilitation and providing you know, a huge amount of enrichment for elephants, which is really what they need. They need to be walking every day. They need to be swimming every day. They need to be foraging every day and socialising. Um, so they're doing amazing work. And there's also community-based projects, um, including one I'm really passionate about, um, which sadly went defunct during COVID. Um, but that was the one that I spent most of my time studying and working on. Um, and that was based in a small village in northeast Thailand, um, home to the indigenous Goy tribe, who'd been working with elephants for a thousand years ancestrally, and who have potentially been most affected by deforestation. 
but this ethical tourism project that I was part of and ran for a short while um, was really focused on enrichment and that being really the primary way, especially in a small village, of improving elephant welfare. So my time on that project, um, some of the best days of my life, it was such a positive program working in really hard conditions but making a tangible difference. And the success of that project and the feeling that I got from, you know, the sense of hope and the sense of connection within the community and amongst the volunteer tourists who came to volunteer their time and, you know, obviously also their funds, their funding to help. Um, the elephants um, made a massive difference. And so eventually um, I'll go back to Thailand later this year and I want to look into resetting up that project and bringing it back to life because um, it had great potential and it could be replicated and it could work really, really well. And it just has to, it has to come back. Yeah. What are the biggest obstacles you feel you face? I feel like you're running into a wall. Um, COVID's been really tough because uh, that obviously cut off all tourism to Thailand. Um, so when you have both animals and humans completely 100% reliant on tourism and that shuts down, um, you know, I've been very concerned about the elephants facing starvation. And I was talking to a conservationist the other day about, you know, this issue. Things are luckily getting a bit better now. And he said, yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, the people facing starvation too so it, it moves down the line you know the elephants are, are going to be next in line as much as people want to provide for them as well if you've got kids and the family and you've lost your job and you know Thailand is so reliant on tourism for a lot of people not just elephant people um, so that's that's been massive I haven't been able to get back um, for the past two years um, my friends over there have been struggling to keep their ethical tourism projects afloat, relying a lot on donations and really hoping that the industry uh, picks up again, which I think it will, but I think it's going to take a while, especially for projects that have been underfunded for a while to, um, to kind of find their feet again. And when a good part of your life's work is, is working on a cause like this, I imagine it's a lot more challenging when there are so many other problems in the world and not to take anything away from yours, because I think this, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I admire what you're doing. Does it make it tougher to get people's attention? Did some people just look at you and go, really, that's what we have to worry about now? Um, I think people really love elephants. Like I think if I was trying to say snakes or I don't know, some, you know, uh, native rodent or something like that, I would have people who might be less interested but because it's elephants people really connect with them like they're such charismatic intelligent creatures like the the moment you meet an elephant up close you get that sense of you know that that level of intelligence the beauty the the humor in their eyes or the sometimes the sadness or the anger or anything else that they might be going through um and I think people kind of inherently connect with that, even if they haven't even met an elephant. So I think that um, that has helped. I mean, I know when I first started um, in animal studies, um, I definitely got a lot of the like, oh, well, there's so many problems, you know, that humans face. Why are we focusing on elephants? Or why are we focusing on animals, I should say? Um, but I do think it's all interconnected. I mean, especially now when 
you know, we're so focused on climate change and the effects that humans have had on the planet where we're affecting animals, we're affecting nature, we're affecting Indigenous people who, you know, are marginalised and don't have a voice. And we're also affecting ourselves. So it is all interconnected. And I think a story about deforestation and the destruction of natural habitats, it's, it's, you know, it's the habitat of humans as well as animals. Plus, I just think, you know, animals deserve our kindness and our attention because we're not doing a very good, good job to look after them on the whole. Absolutely. And we won't even get into anybody that could actually go out and hunt one of these things. I mean, that just makes me sick yeah. when, I, when I hear those stories. So what would be deemed success for you? How will you be able to sit there and go, wow, I, I mean, it sounds like you're trying to make a difference in it and, and you had some great inroads. What would be considered success for you? Um, well, publishing the book has been massive. I mean, even finishing writing the book was massive and publishing it. It's been amazing. Um, it's the first book on the topic. Um, there's been academic articles written about it, but I've brought together um, elements of academia with my own story and the stories of the elephants and people I met. Um, so that's sort of offering something new, both to the field of elephant conservation and elephant um, captive elephant management. Um, so that for me has been, you know, success. That's this book has been, um, you know, in the works for such a long time. So to see it physically and know that people are reading it is amazing. But I think um, the whole point of the book is to obviously educate people and get them interested in the topic and um, also to raise the story of the Mahouts, which is the, you know, the indig Indigenous Mahouts that I worked with who are very politically underrepresented. So um, the next step is, you know, to hopefully engage with people who have read the book and, um, connect with some, you know, new people in the area, which I already have, and, you know, August, organise some new conversations and discussions about what we can do to help and um, get back to Thailand and, you know, have the book under my belt and, you know, walk into it as, a, as someone who is um, an expert in the field, which is an amazing feeling. Yeah, that's great. I think you would be igniting, you know, people that love animals are very passionate, people that, that, will get very involved. So I imagine they're going to be very excited when they pick up your book. When you, um, uh, how can people get the book? Where is it going to be available? Where, where is it out that people can get their hands on it? Um, so it's available on Amazon. Best thing is just to uh, search my name, Nikki Savitas, or search for the book's name, which is After the Forest. Um, it's also available via Book Depository um, and Apple Books. I'm also selling um, via my publisher's website and my own website. So you can also pop over to nikkisavitas.com and I've got purchasing information there too. Are you on other social medias that people could, uh, could get a hold of you or follow you? Yeah. So I have a really great community on Facebook, which is at After the Forests or one word. Um, we've got about 3,000 people on that. 3,000 followers. Everyone's very, very engaged with conservation and animal welfare topics. So that's, um, yeah, if you're anyone who's interested in animal stuff generally would love that page. Loves sharing latest news about conservation wins and um, beautiful pictures of animals and, you know, kind of anything that's taking my fancy from the news or, you know, potential future re research projects or other researchers who are doing amazing work who I want to highlight. Um, I've also got an Instagram uh, at after the forest, which is 
pretty low key at the moment. It's mainly just for sharing um, photos that kind of complement the book um, because in my dream I put, you know, 20 colour plates in the book. I've always wanted to have a book where, you know, you have those beautiful colour plates in the middle and the publisher said, do you know how much that will make the book cost? I thought, okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I've got an Instagram which has uh, all the photos, all the best photos from my trip. There are about 3,000 photos in, in total. So I just chose the best ones for the Instagram. Excellent. Well, all this will be in the show notes. Now, one last question. What advice would you have for people who, who see something? You saw something that a lot of people might think, oh, that's an obscure thing. And look at what you're doing and, and, and what you've made out of this. What advice would you have for people that see a problem and want to try to make it better? Um, well, I think for me, um, the main thing was finding other people who were passionate. Because even though writing a book is quite solitary, um, a lot of other people helped out with the book. So one of the amazing things of working on those ethical tourism projects is that I met a lot of passionate people. And so I think anyone who wants to do something in their community um, can reach out and find other people who are passionate, Um, you know, whether that's Facebook or community groups or volunteering with something that's similar. Um, I think, yeah, there's such a huge um, power in connection and sharing resources and all that kind of stuff. Like I definitely couldn't have written the book without the input of so many people. And, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have finished it. A lot of the motivation to finish was thinking, well, all these people told me these amazing stories and helped me along the way. So I owe it to them as well as the elephants to, you know, finish the book and get it out there. Yeah, it's also that thing, that mentality of uh, just not complaining or feeling bad about something, but actually stepping into the game and doing something about it. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and it's possible as well. Yeah. Entirely possible to make a change. Yeah. I think you're a great example of that. Now, like I say, this will all be in the show notes. Um, I hope a lot of people will uh, take this to heart and go check it out. I, I appreciate your time today and continued success on all your great work. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great discussion. Thank you for joining me on this week's Tell Us How to Make a Better podcast. As I mentioned in the show notes, you'll find all the information to get in touch with Dr. Savitas, get her book, and follow her on social media. And there's also a link to a contact form. If you have any questions about any of the episodes you've listened to, or if you have any ideas for future podcasts, I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.